This is Marketing Smarts, a podcast committed to cutting through all the confusing marketing BS so you can actually understand how to take action and change your business today. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. And today we're going to talk about the latest marketing channel to really emerge, and that is business podcasting. And businesses are using this format for two primary reasons. One is internally to communicate and build culture within an organization. And two is externally, so grow reputation and credibility. And we're going to talk about these objectives today as well as how you get started in developing a business podcast. And to help us with this topic is David Spray, who actually hosts three podcasts of his own, which are business-oriented, and actually has a podcasting business. David, thanks for being here today. Did you want to introduce yourself and your podcast and tell us how you got started with them? Sure. Well, thank you both for having me as a guest. It's uh, I've listened to some of your podcasts, and I was really excited to, to be a guest. So right off the bat, let me just say that... Uh, uh, I am not a marketing expert. My background is really in business development. I'm a CPA by training, have, uh, was in public accounting with a big four firm, and then CFO of a company in Houston. But most of my career has been in business development, selling very expensive professional services for uh, like a lifetime value of north of 100 grand. So I just kind of want to preface it because that's uh, kind of the angle by which I come to this this at. So we may have some different uh, uh, perspectives on this. Uh, so anyway, I just wanted to start by just uh, kind of laying that out. So the background, I've been an avid podcast listener for probably seven or eight years. And starting about five years ago, I wanted to start a podcast for my tax consulting business. My primary business, it's a super niche part of the code it only helps privately held companies who export at least $5 million a year. So very few companies qualify, very few people know anything about it. The companies that do this work, it's just one of many services that they offer because the market's so small, but we chose to be, to specialize in this one area. So we're the only firm that does this unique hmm. area and it's called a, the program is called an IC DISC. It's an acronym for Interest, interest charge domestic international sales corporation. So to just give you the backdrop, and I thought it would be great to have a niche podcast on this subject. And every time I would think about it, I would go Google how to start a podcast and I would see, okay, first start by choosing one of the hundred microphones that are. <laughs> Very and, fair. And I would, yeah. yeah. And then I would just kind of get overwhelmed with it. And then a couple of years ago, there was a firm that had a couple of podcasts that I had a business relationship with. And I said, I said, I know you're not in the podcast uh, helping business, but like I'd pay you a thousand dollars a month. If you guys would just help me get one podcast out a month. And they're like, ah, I don't know. And I'm like, please, please, please. And they said, okay. And then we started, I had one episode a month and then we just, we just kind of kept tweaking it. So by the end, my podcast was very different than all of, theirs. And it was great for business. My closing rate before the podcast was about 50%. Then I self-published a book and with the book as a, as a tool, closing rate went to about 60, 65%, mm. but the book and the podcast closing rate went to 90%. It's impressive. So I think the podcast alone would have taken me to 80. 
And the reason why you have to like understand how these prospect meetings would go. So I would have, I'd be referred to somebody, a business owner who might be interested in this program. They were usually introduced to it by another business owner who, you know, did this or a banker or somebody. And so I go in to meet with them a week earlier. They'd never heard of this program. Their CPA oftentimes really had no familiarity with it. So I walk in and I, I first present them a copy of my book, The Business Owner's Guide to an IC Disc. So they kind of set up a little straighter in their chair, like, oh, wow, I'm in the presence of a published author. Okay, so this guy's really into this. And then while we're talking, I would let it slip. Oh, by the way, not only do I have the only book on the subject, but I have the only podcast on the subject. Yep. And so what would happen is these people would say, okay, so I now know who my IC disc guy is. Uh, so the question now is just, am I going to do it? Am I going to not do it? And so even if they'd go back to their CPA and say, hey, can you do this IC disc thing? And they say, oh, yeah, we did one a few years ago. Yeah, well, sure. We're experts at it. You know, they're going to be like, do you have a podcast on the subject? Do you have a book <laughs> on the subject? And they're going to be like, no. So, uh, so it was an amazingly valuable tool. The other reason it was helpful was... I was really bad about emailing our contacts. So we've got about 10,000 names in the database, but I was so worried about being annoying that I would only send out two emails a year, maybe three, like if there was some significant change in the tax rules. And so the other thing the podcast did for me is it gave me an excuse to send an email to our database mm -hmm. once a month, like clockwork in a non-annoying fashion. Email short, text only, no graphics, in two paragraphs. Hey, on the podcast today, we have Ann and April. They have a great story, a lot of good lessons to learn. It's up right now. Here you go. And, and so that email alone started getting results because I would have like centers of influence who would reply and say, hey, Dave, it's funny. I got your email. I've been meaning to call you. Mm -hmm, now, yep. how hard was it for them to go look up my info, shoot me an email? Well, apparently it was harder than just hitting reply to my email and saying, right. hey, mm -hmm. call me. So that was the first big benefit I saw was I now had a monthly email that went out that I didn't have to create any content for because I heard somebody say once that recording a podcast episode is 10 times easier than drafting a blog post. Uh, so anyway, so, and then I would have guests on and at the end of the interview, when I have, I would have a post call debrief. Uh, the response was almost always the same because most of these, and this was two years in, so I've had 24 guests. Most of the guests would say the same thing. And most of them had never been on a podcast and they would say, Dave, I'm so impressed that you have a podcast. Like I've wanted a podcast for years, but like, I don't even know where to start. And my response would be, um, it's a great idea. You should do it. If you want to pick my brain, give me a call. And that was mm -hmm. it. And then I noticed after a couple of years, nobody launched a podcast. So on February 9th of this year, I had this theory that the reason nobody launched was because it's just too complicated. They can't figure out with you know, microphone, right? Exactly. You know, there's 50. <laughs> I sent an email to three of my guests and I said, Hey, I'm just curious if we had a service called podcast done for you and we did everything for you and it cost a thousand dollars a month for one episode, would you be interested? All three replied back 
almost instantaneously, yes, when do we start? Mm. So at 7 a.m., I had a hypothesis and at noon, I had you know, another business. So the beauty of being a serial entrepreneur, right? <laughs> Nobody tells you you can't start another business. And so that was in February. And I used to say that that doing podcast interviews was my favorite part of my job, but I've changed that. Now, helping other people discover the superpowers of having their own podcast is even more enjoyable and more satisfying. So fast forward, this is just a side business for my partner and me, uh, more of a passion project. And so we just passed 10 clients and 100,000 of annual recurring revenue. And so we're just, we're having a blast with the business and um, kind of spreading the word. Well, that is a really fantastic story to set the context for everything we're going to talk about. But before we even get started, I got to let you know, David, I'm like, you know, you're a marketer, right? You say yeah. <laughs> everything you just did, you had you, you to the, the point of like <laughs> sending out the emails to figuring out what's the insight and how you're going to attract people and then how you can develop a business. You know, that's all marketing, right? So you can no longer say that you're not a marketer because you just proved otherwise. <laughs> Shoot. Okay. Well, now uh, now, <laughs> now you're really out. on the hook. Yeah. Now okay. you're in trouble. Now you've, now you've raised, <laughs> okay. you've raised the bar. So just so you know. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> No, that's that was awesome. No, thank you so much for that background because I think that's going to be really helpful context as we talk um, through these these points. And so let's jump into what you need to know about business podcasting in order to make it an effective marketing channel. So the first element here is you need to identify the purpose for your podcast. And as mentioned earlier, there are two primary objectives for a business podcast. One is if it's internally focused, is to communicate and build culture within an organization. Or it could be externally focused, which is to grow reputation and credibility. So let's break these down and let's start with the first one, which is communicating and building culture within an organization. So even before we really got to hybrid work environments and that started becoming the norm, it was common to have organizations that transcended walls of a building. So like even within when I was at P&G, you have the corporate headquarters in Cincinnati, but you had satellite um, R&D offices all throughout Cincinnati, you had manufacturing all throughout the country and even the world. And then we even had offices globally, right? So it's very common to have very extended workforces, um, and especially as, as you grow bigger in scale. And so even then, even before COVID, there were struggles in keeping your organization connected. So at P&G, we used to use town halls at nauseum, video communications, webinars, emails, all of those things. And they were all set at specific times where you thought you were going to get the most people, right? But Frankly, with now the emergence of podcasts, you have more flexibility and actually more intimacy in communicating these messages because when done right, podcasts, they're more storytelling than data telling, which makes them more engaging for the listener. And this really creates that emotional connection, which reinforces and helps to really build and make tangible the brand story of the company. And that is where the magic happens, okay? And leaders are starting to use this format more frequently, as as David said in the intro, as as you know, people are starting to get more engaged in, in in this format. They're finding it very helpful in order to be able to communicate with their employees in a way that's not as intrusive, and that their employees then can consume at their leisure. To the point that you know, David made about the emails and being able to to, to shoot that email out that's very simple, but and very concise, but very valuable because he's giving them something that it's going to be useful for them in that moment in time. But 
it can be very hard to connect with everybody in one moment in time, which is why this is so beautiful. So then people, if you're in a sales call, like we've heard, for example, they can be listening to it on their way to their sales call versus having to like try to carve out minutes in the day that then they have to like be glued to um, the phone. And it also allows the leaders to have a little bit more style when it comes to the podcast. They, they don't have to be as formal as um, you would in a, in a normal kind of like webinar. And, and that gives you a lot of freedom to make it a little bit more interesting and, and, and really kind of bring out the, the brand character of the business. Yeah. And then from the business side of things, you can use the podcast to grow reputation and credibility externally. So this is a really good way to grow your thought leadership. You can control the message. You can control the timing. You can control the frequency. Unlike other methods of publishing and PR and speaking in events where it's really on the other person's timeline, right? So Anne just made the points about internally where you run into these challenges. Externally, it's the same thing. If it's not your platform, that you own, you're at the mercy of the people that can either internalize the, the information or find the right way to promote it, et cetera, et cetera. And so it really does work to grow your reputation on your terms and to build your credibility as fast as you want to because you can put on episodes really whenever you would like. And it can also be a really effective work generator, lead generator for your business, especially if you use ads um, and you put it out there that way to promote. But it can also be an education and training tool. So the way we've started approaching marketing smarts is that when people come to us with a business request, a lot of times instead of filling out a hefty RFP or pulling together portfolio examples, that sort of thing, we push them to one of the episodes depending on what the topic might be and encourage them to listen to that. And I think that does a couple of things. It gives them our expertise really quickly and upfront. And David, you said at the beginning, people just knowing you have a podcast sometimes mm -hmm. can change their opinion of you totally happens to us. Um, and I think, too, then they get a sense of how it would be to work with us. And so you get a sense of our style. I mean, David, you mentioned that Ann and I banter a lot, right? And and that's true of our work, too. We like to give our clients a little bit of a hard time in a, in a very well-meaning way. We like to have fun in the work that we do, but we also take things seriously and are really diligent and detailed in the work that we do. And I think all of that comes across in the style of our podcast, and it makes those sales and conversions happen that much easier because while we put a ton of work into the podcast, it makes the lead generation and sales portion of what we do less intensive. Mm -hmm. uh, we want to make the note that what's valued internally and externally is different. So don't ever try to make the podcast do double duty. It's not going to work. Either your audience is internal and you're trying to communicate and build culture or externally you want to grow your reputation and credibility. But those are two pretty different things. So if you try to speak to everybody, people won't connect in the way that you want them to as your prime audience and target. Yeah, that's a good point. Hey, David, how, is, um, you, how are you helping your clients choose their purpose? What are they gravitating towards? So that's a great question. So for all of, uh, all of our clients are focused on the second option, mm. the you mm -hmm. know, kind of external marketing. We haven't really had anyone that's come to us about uh, kind of an internal podcast, but it's more the external and uh, so I'm going to disappoint you with my answer here. Our clients' <laughs> purposes are always the same. 
they're not unique from one to the other. And we say that they're, that, uh, the work we do is strategically tactical, um, which may seem like an oxymoron. Basically, all of our clients have the same purpose, increase revenue and be able to financially justify the time and money it takes to have a podcast. I mean, that's like what the purpose really at the core we find comes down to. But you have to realize, I mean, our 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 niche that we serve is just very, very narrow. So so I'm not saying that that other uh, podcasters wouldn't have a totally different perspective. Well, that's absolutely, I think, the goal of every business podcast, right, is to, to somehow grow the, the business. So that's definitely the business goal. But are you finding that within that business goal, they have challenges that they're trying to overcome within the podcast that they're using the podcast for externally? No. Um, I tell you what, could I give you an example? Yeah, yeah, please. That'd be perfect. This well. So for my example, we're using a, uh, uh, so we have a really clear kind of psychographic. So even though our, our clients are split pretty evenly between men and women, because I'm a guy, I'm sort of better familiar with the guy psychographic. So for this example, it's <laughs> going enough. to be a guy. So he's a 52-year-old uh, partner in a 40-person Cincinnati accounting firm. Okay. He's the number one rainmaking partner, and he has great prestige all around town. When he shows up to his country club, everybody knows him. They call him Mr. Johnson around the office. You know, he's just, he's well-regarded. The restaurants he frequents, he, uh, you know, they know him by name. He may have his, his reserved table. And he, for this example, let's say that he's, he, although he has a broad-based accounting practice, he's developed a sub-niche in what we're going to call employee benefit plan audits. Because mm-hmm. I actually uh, used to work for a firm that had this niche. So any company that has more than 100 employees has to have an audit done on their like 401k plan, their, their, their retirement plan. And so let's just say that he's kind of stumbled into this niche and he has 12 clients currently, and he's identified there's 100 companies in Southwestern Ohio who would be a candidate for their service. And he knows another 50 people in the space who are centers of influence, bankers, attorneys, employee mm-hmm, benefits, mm-hmm. brokers. And so, um, and so his market is, first of all, he wants to keep the 12 clients that he has. And let's say the average client generates 10,000 a year in revenue. It's recurring and the average client lasts 10 years. So lifetime value of a client, hundred grand. So let's just say his, and then let's also say that for this little niche, he doesn't really have a way to market to them because he mm-hmm. doesn't want to just send the normal firm newsletter. He can't really create, he doesn't really have much content. So like me, he only sends out two emails a year to this 200 person kind of database. And so, but for the current clients, he takes some golfing once a year and then another time a year he has, has lunch with it. So let's look at that. So the golf, eight hours, start to finish from the time you leave till you get home. Let's say his billing rate's $300 an hour. So it's costing him $2,400 plus, let's say, $600 for the golf. So call it an mm-hmm. even $3,000. 
So he's spending three thousand dollars, and let's just say that he that he starts this podcast, and the only thing he's going to do is just interview his twelve guests for the first year. It's the only thing he's going to do. So my pitch to him would be if you stop taking your clients golfing and you had him as a guest on your podcast, you'd get a way bigger return on it. Mm-hmm. And so the example is, so like I'd mentioned, we charge a thousand dollars a month for podcast one episode. So what we're saying is, so his contact is probably like the HR director. That's kind of his client. And we're saying if he calls up that HR director and says, hey, everybody's busy. Nobody seems to really have time for golf. Instead of me taking you golfing this year, how about if I have you as a guest on my podcast called uh, uh, Employee Benefit Plan uh, Plans for Companies in Southwestern Ohio? That's this podcast. So do you want to be a guest? And I'd like to have you and the owner, founder of the company on and interview you. So has him on first half of the interviews with the owner, who, by the way, let's just say he's never even met the owner because he always deals with the HR director, gets the history of the firm, builds some rapport. The HR director kind of positions the why they're a great place to work. Then at the end, he wraps up, thanks him for being a wonderful client, asks him if there's anything they could be doing differently. Uh, usually they say no. So he spends an hour, he wraps it up. Well, then what happens? So now he's developed a rapport with the owner that he didn't have before. Uh, These people have probably never been on a podcast before, so they're flattered. They're going to email their whole database announcing they were on the podcast. And because he allowed them to really tell the story and shine a spotlight on the company, they may use this for years to come as kind of a marketing piece for potential employees, potential Mm -hmm. clients. So instead of spending $3,000 per client to take him golfing once a year and taking all day, he's now spending one hour and a thousand dollars and he has the rapport building, the relationship building, and then he gets the outreach from the client sending that email out to their database. And so that's really who our target market is, that rainmaker at a professional services firm who's already spending thousands of dollars a month on entertaining clients and prospects who wants their podcast to serve them, uh, to, to give them greater amplification to the network they've built through the years. I think that was a really like, fantastic way of articulating how the the actually how the process can be more efficient in in actually being able to engage and build your reputation, your credibility versus some of the more traditional methods that people have employed for a very long time. Because I think it's it's very telegraphic um, and how podcasts can be mutually beneficial in a way that's still very business oriented versus, you know, golf is fun and everything. And I've had my share of golf outings and that's supposed to build some level of camaraderie and, and networking as well. But this, it, it has a really you know fantastic ability podcasting does in order to kind of bring people together in a very unique way and keep them knitted together for a much longer period of time. So mm-hmm. I think that was a really great way of demonstrating that point. 
which actually gets to the the next step for creating an effective business podcast, which is developing your story arc and format. And you kind of already alluded to this um, in the context of your example. Um, and you, and in the example you use, use very niche story arcs, which is totally fine because you're identified your audience, which is the most important thing to do. And then you're able then to develop a story arc that is going to be of value to them. And that is the objective here. And, and that is the, the, the very second thing that you need to do. And when you bring these things together with your story and format, you create a reason for people to listen to you. So I'll give another example. If you are doing more of the internal podcasting, you might have a purpose of making sure everyone knows everybody else within the organization. So especially as we talk about kind of transcending the walls, a lot of times we become just emails. I mean, that's email names, right? Yep. So, and, and that is a very kind of cold way of engaging in it. And it's hard to see somebody as human when you just see them as an email name. So there's a lot of um, folks who are using these podcasts internally as a way to kind of get to know your colleagues, quote unquote. It's a kind of a generic representation of a story arc, but, you know, you, again, very telegraphic in, in the what it's supposed to do and its purpose. Now, from that, you know, you may determine that you just want a very simple interview format of the same five questions that you think is going to be really good to really express a, a bit of the personality and a, and a, and a bit of um, who this person is and, and allow them to introduce themselves to the rest of the organization. And if you do this on a regular basis through all the people in your organization, you start kind of creating an element of um, community, even through a podcast, and even if these people don't actually meet each other. And so it becomes a really great way of bringing people together. Now, externally, you might want to do something similar to your example. In this example, I'm going to use one that we're familiar with, is a Gardner Business Media's Modern Machine Shop, where they really wanted to endorse American manufacturing. And so they launched a podcast called Made in the USA. And this podcast series really tells the history of American manufacturing and where it's going today. And But they use the lens of individual experiences in order to tell that. And they highlight challenges as well as success stories. And the whole intent is to educate and entertain, but it's also to build awareness. And then within that awareness, they also build credibility and reputation for the uh, the business and, and the reason why you need media to begin with. So David, I mean, I, I know you kind of gave some of the examples of this, but, you know, as you have helped your clients really develop their, uh, their, their podcast directions, are you seeing some interesting story arcs kind of emerge? Yeah. And actually you made me realize that that we, some of our clients do a little bit of internal work and here's how uh, some of our so our clients are almost all law firms or accounting firms, and they've come up with this idea, and most of them just do one podcast a month, that they have one podcast devoted each year to introducing their new partners to mm -hmm. the community. Yep, yep. So they'll they'll interview them, and my understanding is those episodes tend to be listened to internally by the other people in the firm, and the response we always get is, it's amazing. Like I worked with this person for, for 10 years and I never knew that, you know, this about them. I never knew mm -hmm. that they, they had a, uh, they, they spent a summer backpacking across Europe. Uh, so we have found that to be uh, a use that does have some, uh, you know, internal aspects. Well, and I think that's really interesting because 
while we set this up and saying, you know, you can't expect it to do double duty, I think that is a really important nuance because the idea there is the podcast is recorded with the expectation that this new person is going to be externally introduced to the community, but that doesn't mean that there can't be the halo of other folks listening and getting benefit out of hearing what's going on. And and I think that's a smart way to think about podcasting because while you have your prime audience and your purpose for being and what you want to focus on, you will attract some people that are also on the peripheral and some additional benefits, which can be things like points of um, connection within the organization like you just referenced or people that start to think about things differently and so then they become your prime audience inadvertently because they're now they've changed their mind or they've changed a role or they're doing something different and you mentioned too David the longevity of these things mm-hmm. and and how much evergreen content it can be and i think we find the same thing that if you hit the story arc and you do the right format and you do that consistently then you're building that expectation with your audience that they're comfortable because they learn to know what to expect from you no matter how much you how often you put things out whether it's monthly weekly etc yeah, I I, uh, I completely agree. And the other aspect of kind of the story arc that I didn't realize before I started this, and two quick stories come to mind. There was a CPA firm I'd worked for a long time ago that I'm still close with, and I interviewed the former managing partner and for the podcast, for my original podcast. And Uh, About a week after it was released, I received a really nice email from the founder of the firm, who's now retired. And he said, Dave, he said, your interview with John is probably the best oral history of the 40 years of the firm. Mm -hmm. Like, what what a wonderful gift. Thank you for doing that. And, And that was so gratifying. And then the other interesting story, I had a retired client who sold a company And I kind of told his whole story. And again, here's a guy I've known for 10 years, spent hundreds of hours with, and I learned so many things about him. Like he, he uh, was drafted to play professional baseball, but the weekend before he started a a job in Houston, starting his career, and he turned down the professional baseball team because he didn't think he was good enough to ever really have a long career anyway. And I never knew that about him. And I was at a holiday party with some of his family, his children and his grandkids. And I mentioned, I said, Hey, do you guys know that your grandfather was a guest on my podcast? I'm like, no. So I sent the link and the one son listened to it while driving back to Texas with the three grandchildren in the car. And this was an hour episode. <laughs> and they said, and the, the son said, it goes, although I knew I'd heard most of those stories from my dad, you know, a hundred times, there were a couple things I didn't know. And my kids got to learn about their grandfather in a way that they might not have ever known. And when the grandfather is no longer alive 30 years from now, this oral history will still be there for the great grandkids. So that's one of the things that I find so satisfying is everybody has a great story if you can just create an appropriate setting for them to tell it and to memorialize it. 
And so like, like on that case, there was no economic benefit for me having him on there. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's retired, he's no longer a client, but the satisfaction it gave me from being able to tell his story and have that for his kids and grandkids. I mean, that was worth the thousand dollars it cost me to produce that episode just for my personal satisfaction that if, if that makes sense. Yeah, it totally makes sense. And that it, and you break up a really, really great point that these oral histories um, are really invaluable. Um, and you know, in, in this idea of leaving legacy behind, you know, now when I was at PNG, we had the PNG archives and everything was basically paper based or mm-hmm. things you could see. And now being able to really capture you know, the audio quality of like somebody's career is just like it's it's really amazing and it's i think that's going to be you know fantastic for people to be able to continue to live through the vision and and maintain some continuity for the basis of you know these people who um really shaped the the businesses to begin with and they actually shape people's lives so i think that's a really really fantastic point i'm glad you brought that up now, the next step for creating an effective business podcast is to define the logistics. And this is where you get into the nitty gritty. And I'm sure everybody's like, when are you going to actually talk about like the actual things? things? The doing. Well, <laughs> yeah. The, these are actually the thing things. Okay. So this is like your duration and your frequency and where you'll record and who will be the host and all of those things that you know become very important in order to actually manufacture the podcast. And really, this is, and I'm sure, David, you're going to be able to attest to this because this is how you started your business, right? Is that It's the hardest part is just to put the stake in the ground and go. And uh, you can always learn and adjust as you, as you go. Um, me and April do that all the time for, for our marketing smarts. But there are some general rules of thumbs, and I open this up for debate. So, you know, I, David, you might have some different perspectives that we'd love to hear. But from a general standpoint, um, our rules of thumb are that, you know, your podcast should probably be no longer than about an hour-ish. Now, me and April, we do violate that every once in a while. And, you know, that's fine. <laughs> we like um, to talk. Yeah, we like to talk. And, you know, we'd love to have guests on and we want to get everything out of them we can. So, um, you know, you know, sometimes we go over. But And the reason why that is because most people can consume podcasts during commutes or exercise, you know. So you kind of want to kind of be in that hour time frame, which is pretty reasonable when you're thinking about commutes and exercise. But, your format may also dictate your duration. So, for example, like many podcasters will do like a 10-minute podcast for bursts of knowledge or wisdom. And this is intentionally done so people can consume them at, you know, whatever time during the day makes sense for them. So that you need to think about it from, from both ends. But you also have to realize that building a podcast following is actually a slow burn. It's <laughs> It's actually a very um, saturated environment. Maybe not as saturated as you know a YouTube is, but you have to think about the fact that anybody can get a microphone and record and then put that up. So um, the 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 key here, in order to make sure that you continue to build your podcast and build your podcast following, is quality and consistency. So most will say that releasing weekly is is generally, you know, the, the the rule of thumb. But ultimately, it has to be something you can commit to. If you can't commit to it weekly, then you shouldn't actually expect it to be weekly. But there are some ways of being able to facilitate it to make it a little less daunting. So you could batch your recordings, which is what April and I do. Mm-hmm. We do all of our months of recordings within two days, um, and we, you know, we get them all done, and then we we paste them out. Um, you can also do it in a series format where you do them all and then you launch them all at one time and then you get to just 
promote them as they come out, but you get to sit back and wait till it's time to, to do them all again. So there's a couple different ways of being able to facilitate this. But also the quality of recording is important. So you really need to make sure you have the right equipment to do so. When we say that there was 100 microphones, there literally <laughs> is 100 microphones. Now, we're not going to tell you exactly which one to buy, but there are um, uh, the one that we went to initially was Tim Ferriss's um, blog. He has a, a whole set that he used in order to start that. So that's one that I always say you can always go there and start um, and, and just kind of get an understanding of what equipment you can start with. But also realize hosting and interviewing are learned talents. So please, please, please don't take them for granted. Study host of your favorite podcast and, and really listen for how they conduct themselves. If they do do interviews, how do they interview? How do they format? How do they keep their energy up? How do they you know, in, use intonation in order to be able to make sure that the podcast is still engaging? And then you just need to be practicing it on a regular basis. So either during your podcast format or outside your podcast format, but really be relentless in refining the craft. So David, um, I know some of these you jive with, some of these you, 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 may, you may not. So I'd love to get your perspective on what your rules of thumb are. Well, those are great rules of thumb. So one rule of thumb we have is that a good enough podcast that's released into the world is always better than a hypothetically perfect podcast that never gets released. So we kind of, we start with that. There's a saying in the software world that, that when you look back at your version one of a software, if mm -hmm. you're not embarrassed by it, then you <laughs> waited too long to launch. Yep, yep. And I think the same thing's true about podcasting. If after you've done 10 or 20 episodes, you go back to episode one and you don't just cringe at all the mistakes you made, then it means you <laughs> waited too long to launch because you just, you just, you know, you just roll with it and you learn. And, and the other thing, and I guess there's a certain arrogance, but part of why I wanted to podcast was. I've listened to so many interviews, Tim Ferriss. I, I really like uh, Guy Raz, how mm -hmm. I built this. So do we. Yeah, we do. But like so many of these that I started going, I could do a better job than these folks. They, they talk over the guests. They ask him a question. They don't let him answer. They put words in their mouth. And, uh, and I'm like, I could do better than that. And, and in some ways, I think uh, like, because I focused on, so I'll give Guy Raz as an example. I mean, he's awesome. I love his podcast, but he has kind of a habit of putting words in his guest's mouth. That's like because he's, he's saying, a former reporter. That's why. Yeah, I think, yeah. <laughs> Can't break and that so habit. Say, so he'll say things like, like, so, so how'd you get this, this thing started? I mean, I'm sure you didn't have much money because you'd been an employee and, yep, yep. and it's expensive to buy all this stuff. And you know, so how'd you get it started? Yeah, as opposed to just saying, hey, you know, how'd you get started? Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, but I'm sure there's many, many other ways that I, nuances I've not picked up on that guy does it far better than I, that I do. Um, the equipment, so I've, I'm kind of torn on this. We, because we find, so we use a recorded call-in line because we find that any guest no matter how technologically savvy they are, can call into a recorded call-in line. And we find that by the time we do our post-production you know, audio enhancement, that most people, I mean, we've never had anyone say, Dave, I love your podcast, but you know, it's just not NPR studio quality. You know, it's just really disappointing. Mm -hmm. And so, so our theory is, 
just like my podcast, and I had Anna on my podcast a week ago, we use a recorded call in line. And uh, over, over time, I've experimented with different microphones and headsets. And so we have our kind of best practices. And also these days, because of COVID, so many interviews are now done over the phone, right? In the past, they would have been a studio interview. Yep. And you can tell somebody's just calling in on a phone line. And like, I'm like, if it's good enough for Guy Raz to interview some, you know, billionaire and it's obvious the guy's calling in on his cell phone like if that's good enough for guy Roz, then i'm like you know i think that's probably good enough for for my podcast and and again i i can appreciate that if somebody has access to great recording equipment you might as well take advantage of it but our concern was part of the reason none of my guests launched was they were hung up on what microphone to get. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and the other thing we find is our guests over time, they'll start to enhance audio naturally. Like after a few episodes, they'll say, Hey, you know, I know the phone works well, but isn't there an option I can, you know, dial in on my computer and use like a computer headset? Like, absolutely. And here's the one we recommend. And uh, anyway, I'm kind of off on a tangent there. (laughs) No, I think that's all important information. Yeah, I mean, and I I think, too, as you were talking, and I think, you know, you hear a little bit of difference of opinion between us. But I also think it's what do you prioritize as a person that wants to host a show? Mm -hmm. And these are the things that I think each of us differently care about, right? And so for me, I will say I'm kind of a perfectionist, I know, to all of our listeners. That's shocking. Yeah, um, <laughs> but for me, the sound, actually, I feel differently than than you do, David, in that I actually find it really distracting. And so that's a personal preference thing. But then when we were going to go do our podcast, I told Anne, I said, I'm sorry, I just I can't do it. And I think also on top of that, I'd had some bad experiences as a guest where I would hear myself Mm -hmm. back Mm -hmm. and think to myself, you know, I just don't think that I showed up as well as I wanted to because I don't feel like you can hear me very well. And so I think, you know, the point of this debate and the point of this conversation is to get all sides of the discussion. And and I think there is some personal preference woven into how you want to be represented and then how you experience podcasts as well. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I agree completely. And, and face it, like when I launched my first podcast, I mean, we're a specialty tax consulting firm interviewing like accountants and mm-hmm. lawyers. Uh, if if my market was like yours, where you're the branding marketing expert, yep. mm-hmm. I think Good it's point. very understandable that your your standards should be much higher on those things because it's, you know, you're a perceived expert in this space. So I, I think it makes perfect sense the approach you all took such yeah. a nice setup to the next point yeah it totally is and that's <laughs> yeah that it's actually it's a very um astute uh point that i'm sure that was april's uh behind april's uh point of uh us actually choosing the format that we chose but um so yeah so very set, good setup for the next point and this is the fourth point of how to create effective business podcast is to develop your branding and amplification strategy. And I'm actually going to let April take this one. Yes. So I'll just I'll just keep on talking here about that. Um, and, and this is a little bit different, actually, though, than what we normally say. So a lot of times we talk about doing the branding first, which in some ways is true. But in this case, you actually do the visualization 
of your branding, I would say last, because you first have to decide on all the other things we've talked about here. So the why you, your story arc and format, the logistics, and, and I think to David's points made throughout the episode, it's a lot of reasons why people don't get started, right? Mm-hmm. Because those things are a little more nebulous and they're a little tougher than saying, well, this is how I want things to look when I'm presented or how I'm going to choose to come across and sound. But here it is really important that once you put your stake in the ground and you say, this is how we're going to choose to talk. This is the format. This is the way we're going to produce it. This is all the things that we want on our you know, list of what's our cadence, what's our calendar, all of those types of things. Then you need to do the branding and the amplification strategy of that brand. So branding, just a reminder, really specifically naming, imagery, the music you're going to pick, the trailer and how you're going to record it, the intro and outro you have for all of your episodes. And we put the trailer and the intro and outro and branding really specifically because you have to consider your verbalization, your tone of voice, and how you want to sound and present yourself both like what do you want the first thing for your audience to hear every time and what is the last thing you want them to hear because those you actually do want to control. So when you're on the podcast, right, you don't want to sound like you're reading a script, none of those types of things, but those have the utmost polish because they're representing the brand of the show that you're putting out there, okay? So once you have all of those elements, then you need the amplification strategy in order to publicize the podcast because, and and, you know, these things change all the time in the digital world? What are the the things that you must have in order to be visible from a podcast perspective? Um, One of the things is making sure that people know it's there, right? Mm -hmm. And so you have to push people to it. So internally, this might look like an email um, or if you're on Slack as a company, you can send out a teaser to everyone letting them know a new episode is available. Externally, we talk about things like social posts. LinkedIn is a big one for a lot of business podcasts, putting out that there's a new episode, newsletter alerts here, and then also being on other people's podcasts. So that's one of the things that we really strive for um, with Marketing Smarts is not just having the cadence of the weekly episode, but also promoting our podcast by being on other people's. And you just heard David say before, you know, Anne was on his last Mm -hmm. week. Now we have David on. That's a really big part of the currency that exists within the podcast community is making sure that you're visible and showing up on others just as much as being a part of yours. And this one, I think, because podcasting is relatively new, you know, David's point about a lot of people won't just make the leap and do it. I think a lot of it lives right here, which is this piece is hard because it's really more subjective and there isn't a lot of guidance on how to do a brand for a podcast. So this is our plug right here, very shamelessly, in saying (laughs) we can totally help you. I mean, we obviously do this ourselves, but we get a lot of questions from people too, just like you, David, that want to start their own. And how do you do that? And how do you build that brand? And then what do you do with the shows once you have them? So uh, lots of advice we can give there in addition to what we've already said about this, this question in particular, this point in particular. Yeah, David, I know you said you're not a marketer, but we proved you wrong. So um, <laughs> what are what are other ways that you you and you're seeing your clients really be able to communicate and, and, and drive awareness around their podcasts? Yeah, I mean, really nothing uh, additionally to what you mentioned already. Uh, you know, new, newsletter alerts, uh, being on other people's podcasts, uh, LinkedIn posts, uh, emails, uh, so the amplification, I think you you pretty much covered all of those, and I think those are all spot on. And um, 
And I think all your branding comments, you know, also spot on. I think what happens because we're not like a branding firm, sometimes they'll get their their uh, marketing branding firm involved and then they'll spend more time on that piece. And uh, and I must say, I mean, almost invariably that extra does result in a more polished uh, logo mm-hmm. for the podcast, you know, more consistent branding with their, their uh, firm's brand. Uh, so that's always better when you do have that. Uh, but for the clients who don't really have that and they just want to get started, you know, we, we, we don't want to slow them down unnecessarily, but I would have to agree that our clients that have, have gone the full through all the steps that the end product is, is better. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Cause then it starts holding together as a marketing vehicle, which is really, really mm-hmm. important. Um, and uh, that's the difference between using a podcast as a marketing channel and using a podcast for a hobby. So putting it all together and branding it behind it and amplifying it, which is a good segue into summarizing everything you need to know about business podcasting in order to make it an effective marketing channel. So first, identify the purpose. Is a podcast going to be internally focused to communicate and build culture with an organization, or is it going to be externally focused to grow reputation and credibility? Then you want to develop your story arc and format. And this is based on your purpose and should be centrally focused on bringing that purpose to life in a way your listeners are going to find a value. Then you're going to define your logistics. This is all the things like the duration, the frequency, where you record, who will be the host. And finally, you're going to develop your branding and amplification strategy. So your branding includes your name, your imagery, your music, your trailer, your intro and outro. And your amplification strategy is how you're going to publicize your podcast. Are you craving a deeper dive immersion into the topics on our podcast? Then you will appreciate our virtual consultancy. Located on the shop page of our website, forthright-people.com, you can now download our digital coaching modules on vigilant leadership, culture building, and social strategy. For the cost of a book, you will get diagnostic tools and exercises to assess your current state and development tools to quickly and intentionally improve your proficiency. These are quick yet effective ways to improve your marketing savvy today. Check it out and let us know other topics you would like us to go deep on. So our next segment is our In the Trenches segment. This is where we give real-world examples specific to our experiences and industries, but they should have broad application for all of you guys so that you can process through this for your own business and put it into action. So first, In the Trenches question, should I do ads and how do I do them when I am new? Now, ads, we believe, add a bit of instant credibility. It means somebody's actually invested in you in some way to support the podcast, right? And so, and they want to be associated with it. So that helps your credibility and some brings a little bit of, of instant you know, reputation building within your podcast. Now, at the beginning, um, you know, people are probably not going to pay you in order to advertise on your podcast. So sometimes here, you're going to just take them and you're going to thank them for, you know, allowing them to uh, to come in and, and be part of this and, and, and thank them for their support. Um, or maybe you can even negotiate an in-kind value exchange where if they you do end up getting some business for them through the ads, that maybe you get a portion of that. So that might be an easy way, especially initially in order to entice somebody to want to advertise on your podcast when they aren't actually paying you for that. 
Now, you can also choose to advertise your own business offerings. Many podcasters do this. They'll they'll, uh, advertise their events or their books or their trainings. This is generally a little bit later in the podcast duration. So after they have um, several of uh, episodes underneath their belt and they've developed that, that credibility and reputation and started developing that following already. The big thing here is just to make sure your ad breaks are appropriate so they don't disrupt the flow of your podcast. I think this is a huge issue. And I'm seeing even very highly professional like podcasters do this very, very badly. And this is because they're trying to jam-pack so many ads that they are coming now at very unnatural times and they're not coming in and in the places that are natural breaks in the conversation. So then when you get done with the 60-second break and you return to the conversation, you're totally lost. The listener is totally lost. Don't do that, okay? Um, But also understand that if you are going to do it at the beginning or at the end, most people skip those. So it is still beneficial to try to find a place in the middle. As you're going to know from ours, we do this right before the end of trenches section. So you guys have a second to breathe and process before we kind of like just download again. David, what is your perspective on ads? Well, I've got to say your perspective is really... um you've really got me thinking because our approach had been, you know, these podcasts are not designed to be commercially successful that, you know, unless you're getting a hundred thousand downloads a month, I mean, how you know much ad revenue can you generate? And we just kind of stopped our thinking there. So none of my podcasts, none of our clients podcasts have, uh, you have any ad spots, but, You've, you point out some really good things about how having a ad enhances the credibility because it means that somebody seemingly was impressed enough in your content and your reach that they're willing to pay you money. So that's an interesting approach uh, to it strategically that I hadn't thought of. And I really appreciate that insight. Hey, there we go. Point marketing smarts. Thank you, David. (laughs) (laughs) The next into trenches question is, how do I measure the success of my podcast? And actually, you you just kind of alluded to that, David, and that it's actually somewhat difficult, even if you're not intending to measure it commercially, to actually do measure it commercially because the platforms really haven't developed well enough in order to be able to see how you match up against other podcasts. And that a lot of that data is not public. Now, for us here, we do our podcast out of Gwyn Sound Studios um, in Cincinnati, and we use Megaphone as our analytical tool. So that that helps us understand a bit of the data regarding who's listening um, with regards to numbers of people, like unique listeners, where they're generally located, how many downloads we get. But it doesn't say a lot more beyond that. So actually, very <laughs> little else is known. I think only Apple you know, mm-hmm. really knows, um, which is why it's really, really important to make sure that your purpose is very clear for why you're doing this podcast. So for example, if it's internally focused and your whole goal is to build culture, you might want to instill some internal uh, tools in order to be able to see if it's really being effective of doing that. So you might put out um, some surveys to see, hey, is this podcast helping to drive culture? Are you guys finding these things kind of useful? And that helps to reinforce whether or not your purpose is is really um, being instilled through the podcasting. 
externally, you may want to ask your clients. And it sounds like, David, you did this based on the story that you were telling earlier um, of like, hey, how did you find me? And what actually helped close you um, in order to um, for me to win your business? Um, and that's what we're finding from a marketing smart standpoint, too, as well as April had said, is that people are finding the podcast as a closer. Um, it helps them understand what they're going to get by working with us. And, and that really helps to facilitate the engagement that we have with them in selling the business. So David, you know, I know you said it's a little bit nebulous on, on, on your side of your clients about how they did to find the success, but I mean, obviously they're still kind of going. So um, how, what are you seeing with your clients and th- for yourself about why you keep, continue to go? Yeah. So great question. So uh, completely agree that the tracking is so difficult. And when I first started podcasting, i paid more attention to those stats. But then the problem was it was just depressing because, you know, we've got 10,000 contacts in the database. In my first few episodes, I was getting like 30, 40, 50 downloads. Mm-hmm. Like out of 10,000 people I emailed, I'm like, oh, that's that's horrible. But then when I started thinking of it in context that that it, that the podcast was more of a means to the end, Mm-hmm, and like mm-hmm. in the example I just gave, you know, of the imaginary 52-year-old rainmaker in Cincinnati, if you think about it in that example, if nobody listened to any of those episodes other than like the parents of the guests who were proud that their their child was now famous, <laughs> let's say, if nobody had listened to those, it still would have accomplished the primary strategic objective So we actually, when our clients start asking us about download stats, we really try to discourage them from, at least initially, from even looking at them because we're concerned that it'll be discouraging to them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then um, the other question in terms of, uh, you know, surveys and other tracking, I mean, those are all, those are all great ideas, just, uh, because again, you know, I'm not a marketing person like you all are. Oh, here we go again. Never even thought about it. Never even really thought about it. No, I think that's uh, that's really good context for for this question. Thank you for that. Um, our next in the trenches question: Do I need guests, and if so, how do I get them? When I, I will, over to April. Yeah, I'll take that one. So, I think really it depends on your format. Um, there's a, a very traditional approach out there with with podcasting of kind of interviewing and getting a response from the guest. And I will say that Ann and I actually started with no guests on purpose because, number one, we didn't want to do the traditional interview, ask your interviewee a question and get a response and, and participate in the conversation there. There's value in that. We listened to lots of them that do that, but we really wanted to to build a different approach. And one of our main objectives was to be highly educational, but also highly executional on the side of the people that were listening. So it was very, very important to us that we establish our own voice first, both as forthright people, but then individually, because Ann and I, for all of all of our listeners, know we come from kind of opposite sides of the fence. And so Ann worked at Proctor for 20 years. I was in agency life for 15 years. And so we were going to bring a different perspective that we wanted to be valued by our listeners. And then the third thing was we built this structure, which you're all familiar with now, of starting starting with four strategic points, 
answering questions that we get from people that are that allow you to go and execute immediately after listening and then kind of closing it out with the exclamation point of a brand a business that's doing it well or turning it over to our guests once we had them. And so I think for us, we didn't want to start introducing people on the show until we felt like we'd done enough to show people who we are, why we're credible, how we're different, why they should want to work with us, all those things that we talk about all the time, and also to make sure that it was working so that we didn't mm-hmm. need to make any adjustments to the structure. And there are episodes where we actually do now. We kind of mm-hmm. lean outside of those guardrails. Um, but that was important to us. And then as we got more comfortable, quite frankly, with the format, and then also felt like there were other contributors that could really supply additional information that we couldn't cover ourselves, that started to become the vetting strategy for bringing people on the show. And so those are folks that reinforce our points or give a perspective that we can't or are more in the weeds, perhaps, than than we are and can add contextualization to the topics that we bring. We mentioned reciprocity already. So one of the ways to get guests very specifically is to offer that trade. You be on mine, I'll I'll be on yours. And there's also this new PR model that we're discovering that as our podcast has grown, folks are reaching out to us kind of coldly and promoting people they have and giving a pitch for why those people should be on our show and and what they might talk about and those types of things. And so we've had an influx of Mm -hmm. that in order to get people outside of those we already know, all of that sort of thing. You can also send out requests, quite frankly, so through social channels and and networks. Um, And I think that that can work too. The only thing I think we hesitate with there is we actually control our guest list pretty tightly still. Mm -hmm. And so we have that vetting strategy I mentioned um, we have an outreach coordinator, Laura, that vets everybody that we bring onto the show. And we're pretty strict with both the chemistry, but also what those people bring. So if you start to ask people in that mass way, just know that you're going to have to one vet more and you may have to turn people away that you know that can get a little bit uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, it can. David, what's your experience here? So if you'd asked me two weeks ago, I would have said uh, guest interviews are the only like format that I would ever use. And I I prefer those. They're just more entertaining to me. Now, you all kind of have a hybrid Mm -hmm. because the two of you can not have a guest, but just your own uh, fun banter is enough to really carry the show. But here's why. So in general, I recommend the guest format for a, a whole number of reasons. But I learned something interesting two weeks ago. I was, uh, I realized that I needed to do a release for our original podcast. And I realized I had no interview in the can and I really was overdue to get one out. So I just did a 20 minute uh, Q&A of just questions I've been asked over the last year as it relates to the uh, Biden administration's impact on this tax incentive and what we might think happened. Mm-hmm. And so I did it. I released it. I'm like, hey, it's better than nothing. You know, no interview. It was short. It was like 15 minutes. And I received more compliments on that interview than just about <laughs> any other episode I'd ever had. Yep. Super timely, except for when mine goes out, of course. But OK, sure. So <laughs> so I in general, I like the interview format, but I do think that having an occasional Q&A format. Mm. Uh, Certainly you can weave that in because the biggest problem when you don't have a guest, you lose all the amplification that the guest provides. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The guest sending it out to their database, 
the uh, relationship building aspect of, of having them on and telling their story. And as far as getting guests, uh, it's funny. I have this theory that, so most of the people I've invited to be guests until recently had never been on a podcast. And I found that when you invite somebody to be on your podcast, their brain doesn't have a way to to categorize that. And so I swear what my guests think I'm saying is, uh, hey, April, I don't know if you know, but I'm guest hosting The Tonight Show next week. Would you like to pop by Tuesday for a 10-minute segment? <laughs> it, the flattery they have is like identical. Yeah. Like be yep. on your podcast. Oh, my goodness. Let me rearrange my schedule. Like, <laughs> yep. When do you want to do it? <laughs> yep. So most of our clients think finding guests is going to be difficult. I find that to not really be the case because most people are, and, and again, unless you're trying to interview celebrities, uh, such as Anne and April, but other than that, <laughs> very good. It's uh, that most people that you you invite have never been on a podcast, and they're flattered. And then if you put the whole focus on them for an hour, and then and then at the end, especially if you have a client on the podcast, and at the end you sincerely say, "I'm thinking of a particular client." Hey, Paul, we really, I really, really appreciate you giving us the chance to serve you over the last dozen years. And I really appreciate having had a chance to get you know, to know you personally. And I just want you to know just how much value, how much I value the friendship and the business relationship. When you say that to somebody over lunch, it resonates one way. When you say it in a public forum in front of 8 billion potential listeners, it resonates in a much deeper place. Yep. It's been my experience. Yeah, I think that's so true. And I think that's a really, you know, fabulous way of kind of articulating the power of, of guests and, and, and the reciprocity even within an episode. So yep. I think that was a really fantastic example. So rounding this out, our third and final segment is a real world example of a brand is doing this well or not well. And, you know, since we're talking business podcasting here and we have David, you know, we're going to turn this over to you, David, for you to kind of wrap this up for us and, and put a bow on it. Is there anything else that you would like to uh, to share that is um, part of your business or any other learning that you want to provide the listeners? And then and also in- make sure to tell them how that they can find you. Absolutely. <laughs> I stole Ann's thunder. Yep. Uh, I thought she was going to forget. (laughs) Okay. So I think the way I would summarize it is that, is that if you're a rainmaker in a professional services firm, uh, a podcast can be uh, especially powerful and the value of your time can be such that you can actually justify uh, outsourcing it. And, and, you know, and paying a, a not insignificant uh, fee. Uh, the second thing is having a podcast is like having a superpower. It's like every week I discover a new, a new superpower. Like, like in terms of, like I've had guests on my original show that we didn't even talk about the subject. I just thought they were interesting. I want to have them on. Mm-hmm. And it's like having your own radio show without any rules attached to it. No yep. advertisers, no producers. So, um, you know, so that's the, the second thing. And I guess the third thing is it's just an incredible amount of fun to have a podcast because it's like, it's like, again, like having your own radio show, but you get to set all the rules and you get to do whatever you want. And 
in the episode can go as long as you want. You can have whoever you want. Sometimes I've had two guests at the same time. Uh, I didn't have to get anyone's permission to do that. So it's a very liberating thing. And doing a podcast interview is so much easier than crafting a blog post, uh, in my, in my uh, opinion. So that, that might be kind of the summary as far as if people want to get hold of me, uh, the website is yourpodcast.team for the podcasting business. If somebody's interested in a podcast and they want to kind of self-assess, we have a scorecard called uh, www.yourpodcastscore.com. It's eight questions, takes about five minutes, and that will give people a good sense on whether they're a good fit. And like a simple example is, if the lifetime value of a client is more than $25,000, then a podcast for marketing purposes is probably makes more economic sense than if the lifetime value of a client's $5, right? It's mm -hmm. really hard mm -hmm. to justify like how many new clients you'd have to bring in to pay for it. Yep. Um, and then we have uh, just a, a piece that doesn't even require an email address called 50 plus benefits to having a podcast. It used to be called 50 benefits. And then I kept thinking of <laughs> can't more. help yourself and i didn't want to have to change the uh the title and the url of it and so that one's at yourpodcast.team slash 50 benefits the new podcast is podcastingstories.com uh you can find it you know, on any of your podcast players or just search my name david spray and it'll pull up all three of them but the reason this one matters is that podcast is geared toward people who are considering a podcast or who recently launched. And our guests are either podcast experts like Anne and yourself <laughs> or people who are considering starting a podcast. And I just kind of walk them through the scorecard. We just do a real-time consulting session. So really awesome. somebody who's interested in a podcast, that's really the best place would be just to go listen to our podcast we really thank you in, in your stories and all the context you brought to this conversation. It really made it very telegraphic for, I think, everybody to kind of see how it actually happens outside of our podcast, because we talk about our podcast all the time. So it was great to, um, to have that perspective from you. Oh, it was my pleasure. You all are just uh, are just delightful, even more delightful in person than you are on your podcast. Oh, so thank you. you. So thank you for having me on. It's been a real a real treat. And in preparation for this, it was really helpful because it kind of forced me to kind of sharpen my message. So uh, and that'll benefit me, you know, for all days in the future by having it just a little tighter. Uh, message. So, so thank you for the opportunity. You're welcome. That's the marketing smarts part of it. <laughs> 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 All right. So just to bring this home, let me just summarize what you need to know about business podcasting in order to make it an effective marketing channel. First, you need to identify the purpose. Is the podcast going to be more internally focused to communicate and build culture within an organization or more externally focused to grow reputation and credibility? Then you need to develop your story arc and format. This is based on your purpose and should be centrally focus on bringing that purpose to life in a way that your listeners will find of value. Next, you define the logistics. These are the things like duration and frequency, where you will record, who will be the host, all of those things. Then finally, develop your branding and amplification strategy. Branding includes your name, your imagery, your music, your trailer, your intro, and your outro. Also, your amplification strategy is how you're going to publicize your podcast. And with that, we'll say go exercise your marketing smarts. 
Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com. Mention you heard about us here, and we will give you a free 30-minute consultation. You can also share any topics you want us to cover, which helps us give real-world support to our listeners in real time. And if you learned something impactful, please share with a friend, and don't forget to leave a rating and review on your favorite platform. Now, go show off your marketing smarts. Thank you.